Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A new political formula. Is it needed to revive liberty or is liberty even worth reviving? We're going to discuss that on a deep dive Thursday. I'm Andrew Coppins, and I've got a special guest with me. Today, Aron McIntyre of The Blaze. That's right, folks. We're going to deep dive on all things liberty and political formulas right here on Critical Thinking. All right, you know drill by now. You can follow me on X. You can follow me on all the socials. I am at the Coppin Show. And joining me today, let's just get right on into it. It is our fine, fine friend, Aron McIntyre from The Blaze. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you this, this fine Thursday? Doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I am greatly appreciative of you coming on because this is a show about critical thinking. This is a show about ideas and concepts and and actually trying to put them into practice. And so I, I greatly appreciate a fellow thinker like yourself. Um, back in November, um, I had seen an article of yours, and it was an article that was titled, I believe, For the Right to Win, It Needs a New Formula. And I thought to myself, oh, great, a, a, a plan, an idea, a concept, a, a thing that we can coalesce around. And, and then I read it. And then I realized, wait, you're not talking about the, the same political machinations that we've seen, I think, for bo- most of probably both of our lifetimes. Um, can you explain what you mean by political formula, first and foremost? Sure. There's a political theorist by the name of Gatano Mosca, and he describes the way that all civilizations work. They're always run by a elite group. We like to think of ourselves as kind of you know, popular sovereignty, the people rule. But at the end of the day, the power is actually in the hands of a select few. And no matter how we select those few, whether it be through democratic process, some kind of you know, just military arms, whether it be a monarchy, whatever that case may be, there's still those elite few in powder and power, and those elite few always need a political formula, 
a story that justifies their rule. Now, a lot of people think that's cynical, but Gatana Masca says, no, actually, the elites need to believe in that political formula, too. It needs to be sincere. It's a shared story between those who rule and those who are ruled about why society is the way it is. And so in a healthy society, you have a political formula that everyone is bought into. The elites care about the people. The people care about the elites. There's an interchange. There's a duty and respect between these two groups. And that is based on a political formula. If you have a healthy one, everyone feels it's legitimate. It works for the society. It tells the society who it is and what it values. If it's unhealthy, it looks a lot like today. Yeah, and that's kind of the 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 route that I went. I went, hmm, sounds a lot like what I have been talking about on this show with uh, my former co-host Pat Oni and, and others. Um, was the, this concept of you have to have a shared value. You have to have something that you believe in. And it used to be the Constitution and the principles that that kind of stood for, or more broadly, liberty as a concept. You know, there's a reason why they're called liberals, right? There's a reason why it was called conservative. Um, we all kind of agreed to the same rule book. Do you, do you agree with me, I guess, that today's rule book, there, there is none when it comes to a political formula? Yeah, the, the problem we run into is that we used to all speak that shared language that you're talking about. We all had a shared moral vision and we had different approaches. We had different ideas of how much the state should be involved and how much, you know, different aspects of society should weigh in. But at the end, we all looked to the same kind of ideas uh, for virtue. And the trick is really that the United States used to be held together by a loose but real Protestant Christianity substructure. You might have been Jewish, you might have been a Catholic, but you still understood that you were part of this society. And so you shared many of the goals and values. And those values are transmitted through documents like the Constitution. But what we found is once that shared value structure is torn apart, the words on the paper in the Constitution don't actually hold things together. What was really holding things together was that spirit, that shared moral vision that was then transmitted through the values in the Constitution. But if we don't share that anymore, then all we get is a bunch of people who are tearing at the words. They're manipulating the words. They're playing language games to create their own faction and grab at their own power. And that is really the situation we're in now where we could say freedom of speech or we could say liberty. But those mean radically different things to different groups inside the United States, even though they're all staring at the same document. Yeah, I a thousand percent agree with that. In fact, that's part of the reason why I've kind of given a theme to this uh, show for the year of liberty's last stand. And my goal is for people to understand what is liberty? What does it mean? Let's define it. Let's let's know what those principles are. Let's live them out. Let's find fellowship and all of that. Um, I guess for me, before we get into the the nitty gritty, do you agree this probably is liberty's last stand? Well, I think we should probably actually define what we mean by liberty, uh, because I think you're right that without that understanding, then it's hard to know what we mean by that. And that's what we want to avoid, because the whole problem, like we just talked about, is the loose language. That lack of shared definitions is really what's tearing our country apart, what's tearing the sides apart. And so I think the danger is that a lot of people hear liberty and they just think freedom to do whatever I want. Right. That, that's what mm -hmm. liberty means to me. I, I can you know, live whatever life I want and you live whatever life you want and no, neither of us should interfere with each other. But that's not what liberty meant to any 
society before ours. It's not what it meant to the ancients. It's not what it meant to the founding fathers. Liberty in their mind is in accord with a certain uh, value structure, certain virtues. Someone who is free to do heroin all the time. Well, I guess technically they can do heroin, but they're not free. None of us would look at a person who's desperately running around trying to find cash so they can stick a needle in their arm and get high for six more hours. We wouldn't really think of them as a free person, right? They're a slave. They're just a slave to their desires instead of to some ma- some physical master, some some you know individual master. And so, when we mean virtue, we mean that we are we are free, or rather, when we mean liberty, we mean we are free to pursue a particular vision of the good inside a tradition and a value structure. And I would say, if do you mean is this the last stand of Amer- of the American style, the classical style? Of liberty, in that case, I would say yes. I, in fact, I would, I would, I hate to say this, but I think it's true. I think in many ways that ship has already sailed because so few people still have a shared vision of the good. I think what's going to need to happen, what's, and this is why I talked about a, a new political formula, is we were going, we're going to need to go through a hard time in which we recultivate virtue so that we can once again find liberty. Exactly. And it's part of what we have discussed on this program is kind of this uh, concept of reviving liberty, right? And it is literally 10 steps and 10 actions. It's talking about how you have to form fellowships, not just coalitions. If you look at the Tea Party, you look throughout our political history over the last 20, 30 years, you see time after time after time, people glomming onto concepts or ideas, but they don't really know what they are. They don't understand them. They don't really mean them. And you get nothing in return for that. So when I take a look at what we have for our structure, I agree with you wholeheartedly that we have got to probably go through some pretty difficult times, but also get to that fundamental thing. And it has to be a person by person by person situation for me. Do you agree with that? Maybe that this has to be a personal journey first before it can be anything that is a broader tea party type or freedom caucus or whatever you want to call it uh, type of a movement. For sure. So it's a, it's a little difficult because I think in some ways, many conservatives want to say, well, it's all about in the individual, the individual, the individual, individual. And that is good. That is a good set of advice for a person who's trying to get their life together, right? You have to take action. You have to be the change. Don't sit around waiting for other people. Don't sit around complaining about society. You take the first step, the old Jordan Peterson, clean up your room thing, right? He, he sure. you know, a lot of people joke about it, but it's true, right? That That's good individual advice. However, the other part you're talking about is community and the importance of community. Virtue can only be practiced inside communities. You can have individual virtues, but they only really manifest in relationships to a community. And so what we need is something that is not just purely some political ideology. What we need is organic communities that work with each other, that care about each other, that take care of each other. And once we have those, then we will know what those communities need. And when we know what those communities need, we can work together on a political goal that is not ideological, that is not, oh, well, I am a free market guy, or I am a communist, or I am a blah, blah. I am here for my community, for the people around me, and for what betters them. And that is the motivation that will then take you in a, you know, build you up strong from the base into a movement 
that can actually influence things. Right now, we're running around just yelling Milton Friedman or Ronald Reagan quotes. And yeah, they <laughs> might have some great ideas that at one point ha may have benefited a community. But we've lost the community that was below those things, that made those things worthwhile. And those slogans are empty when they're not tied to actual human beings and the organizations they live in, the things they really need to flourish. Yeah, and again, we're speaking with Aron McIntyre of The Blaze. You can go check him out at theblaze.com and, and all the things that they've got going on. Um, really great, deep-thinking stuff there from you. And, you know, I, I that's why we we have used this term of fellowship. And I feel like we have lost that when we take a look at what we've had from a political perspective, you know, we've got the freedom caucus and you've got, uh, you know, the rhinos, and you've got this and that. And what is the shared values amongst them? I don't think there are many. And, and that is kind of the problem that exists politically. But from a community perspective, we are so, I see so many conservatives or even libertarians glomming onto the, the, the hot moment of somebody that, that is maybe part of pop culture or whatever have you just kind of glom onto them as if this is the, the rolling of the ball down the hill of the movement. And in reality, they're a useful tool to your coalition, to your principles that you might have, but they don't hold everything. And we have to build that community, right? And I think that's where this starts is starts with you understanding your principles and your values, seeking out others who have them and and forming that community and understanding those shared values and working, as you pointed out, towards those shared values. You actually have to have something like that. And I see our society really climbing onto almost anything. It, it's almost a hunger for something real and authentic. Do you see that as well? Absolutely. And it's only natural. Look, we're hero worship is a core aspect of civilization. Like I said, elites are going to exist. There's no way we can avoid that. We can talk to ourselves about, you know, grassroots and, and these kind of things, community, <coughs> excuse me. Yep. However, the, you know, the, these people are going to elevate leaders. That's just going to be the case. And so we don't want to, even though we would hope, you know, and we know that at the end of the day, we do need to build those communities. We do also need to recognize that for a wider movement to emerge, for a wider leadership to emerge, you do have to elevate elites of a certain caliber. I think one of the problems we have right now is we don't know what that looks like. And to be fair, America is pretty anti-aristocrat. We've kind of had that. It's, we've always had a weird relationship. Like clearly the founding fathers were aristocratic in bearing. And clearly a lot of leadership came out of New England and had kind of that wasp aristocratic feel to it originally in the United States. We've kind of lost that and we don't know where to go next with that. And so I don't know if there's an easy answer to that question other than as we build those communities and as we build virtue, natural leaders arise. Not people who are, again, interested in ideologies or throwing out, um, I'm part of a tea party or whatever, but it's people who genuinely have the interest of their community and their people and they know how to fight and deliver on their behalf. And once that happens, People will want to emulate that and they, they will want to. And you can see that even with Trump, right? Very flawed yeah. human being, right? Very mm -hmm. flawed human being. But you can see the hunger that people had for anyone who even showed a bit of that kind of leadership, that kind of swagger, that kind of attitude. And so if Trump, who is the fake thing, let's let's be honest, if he can drive that kind of passion and that kind of intensity, 
Imagine what the real thing would do. Imagine how that quickly that could galvanize and change the country. But again, that requires a community that produces a, a far higher caliber of aristocrat than Trump. Uh, and we're still working on that. Yeah, 100%. So that leaves us to where are we today when it comes to our political formula? I have long said if if you were to take us into a time machine, regardless of technology, but put us in the political time machine and put us in the same time frame, if you will, late you know, 1910s to 1920s, right? You take a look at that. I would argue you wouldn't know a difference in so much as you've got a group of people who see themselves as the elite, maybe that's academia or whatever have you, and they're running through eugenics, they're running through you know all of these, these ideas and formulas and, and things of that nature, very similar to what we have today from our academic elites to the bureaucracy working in hand with them. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do we have that type of a system here in 2023 that that we could kind of compare to? You know, I, I guess that's where I struggle. Well, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with my work, but I talk a lot about the managerial elite. I talk a lot about the, the rise of the managerial class, which was documented by James Burnham originally in his book of the same name. And for Burnham, really, uh, with the rise of the Industrial Revolution and you know, Woodrow Wilson's probably our first managerial elite president, it's the, the, the shift to the academic as king instead of, uh, instead of the warrior or, or aristocrat. And when we start to see that, it really ramps up during FDR. And, and this is where we see pretty much all economies become centrally planned. We, we don't like to think of that in the United States. We're like, oh, that's a Soviet thing. But really, once, once we started seeing that kind of uh, modernity enter in the, the kind of the systematic uh, creation of these bureaus, these uh, academies, uh, those bureaucracies, uh, you know, the, these trained uh, experts who are, who are managing everything, we see the systematizing of pretty much every human interaction. And that's really what our political formula is now. If you think about what the current deal with our ruling elites is for the people, the current deal is we can facilitate infinite progress through the proper management of science and learning and, and social interactions. And we will basically extend your life and get you a bunch of free stuff uh, if you, uh, you know, and that, that will produce the closest thing to utopia that we're going to get. That's kind of the current political formula. 
And the reason that's failing is it's becoming very obvious that actually things are getting materially worse, not materially better. If you look back to, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, in a lot of ways, most people, you know, outside of a few technological advancements would be like, well, that's a better society, right? And it's, it's very clear that those, that, that, you know, that material progress alone is not enough. And also, it's very clear that our managerial elites are becoming rather incompetent. We're producing more and more incompetent people. We were supposed to have experts that would understand everything. And instead, you know, we get things like the pandemic and, and, yep. and, and the crisis that, that <laughs> followed. And so we, we are seeing the kind of the catastrophic failure of that political formula now. And so I think we're, we're in a moment of crisis for that political formula, which is, uh, of course, an opportunity for a new one to emerge. But that's always a scary transition because... Everybody likes a plan. That's the Joker line from the, <laughs> from the Dark Knight, right? It doesn't matter if the plan's terrible. They, people would rather have a plan. They'd rather have order than chaos. And unfortunately, I think we're approaching a moment where you know, the old order is breaking down and no one is sure what the new one looks like. Yeah, and I think we see it with what's going on with uh, some of the October 7th uh, situations in, in academia and in the insanity there and then you take a look at what's going on even relatively recently with the blockades on bridges and all that stuff that's been going on in new york city here in chicago where we have a large palestinian uh, uh diaspora almost if you will um in one of the suburbs here it's it's kind of crazy <laughs> to see that enclave but um I also think you see it as you brought up with COVID, right? You see the managerial class. You saw Trump turn his uh, management of, of our society over to Fauci, to Burks. And I'm sorry I swore, but <laughs> uh, uh, that's a swear word on this program, Fauci. But, um, but he turned it over to them. He turned it over to Mike Pence. And, and that's part and parcel of being a manager, right, is, is that you can't know everything. You shouldn't know everything. You have to trust that experts do know exactly what they're talking about and they're going to get it right instead of being your your own personal check and balance on what they're telling you. You've got to be the center of that. And I guess my, my question then is, as we look at 2024 and going forward here, what's rock bottom? That's a very dangerous question. Um, because uh, I, th I think uh, I forget who had the quote, but there's there's a lot of ruin in an empire, uh, you know, and uh, that that's certainly a place where we're at at the moment. Uh, it's difficult to know what rock bottom looks like. Uh, I would say that obviously we're in a, we're in a pretty scary moment of constitutional crisis. Uh, it's very clear that the leading candidate of one of the major parties, actually, according to some polls, the leading just presidential candidate period he's already beating by it donald trump uh is facing multiple attempts to jail him he's facing attempts to remove him from the ballot under spurious, spurious charges that he hasn't even received uh mm -hmm. with clauses in the 14th amendment uh he's already uh we're already seeing other republicans being stripped from the ballot again under the same logic uh this is you know, this, this is this is this this is not good territory. This is how you end up with wars between the states. I mean, you know, it's yep. it's really uncomfortable. But, you know, people are moving to different states to to avoid, you know, different forms of trans laws. I mean, this is bleeding Kansas. I mean, this is there's a lot of history here that doesn't look great. Um, I hope none of this comes to pass. I hope that there is a safe and 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 um, 
you know, prosperous resolution to many of these problems. Uh, however, that's it, it's a bad situation. And I, th I think in some ways that, again, opens up opportunities. I think, thing, for instance, I think uh, the leadership of Governor DeSantis has shown the way that you can kind of push back against the federal government. You can build a power base more locally. You can protect your voters, your citizens from some of the machinations of the larger uh, destructive federal government. And I think that as the federal government becomes more incompetent, that will become more important. But this is, for instance, the reason that I supported him you know, showing the way as a governor rather than running for president, because I actually think there's more change to be done at the state level than there is necessarily to be done at the federal level. However, uh, you know, that, that's kind of part of, of where things go. And at the moment, we're, you know, we're, we're staring directly into the chaos. So uh, predictions are dangerous. Yeah, exactly. That's why I say to people, you know, over the holidays and where, where are we going? Where are we doing? I, I don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole because none of it seems very good. Um, you know, I agree with you. The constitutional crisis situation, um, you know, we've got just the radicalization of certain parts of academia. We've got we've got a recipe that's not good. Uh, because we don't have that commonality that that we can pull back on and say, hey, whoa, 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 let's pull the reins back a little bit and and let's cool our jets. Um, I see us going full steam ahead. You know, you talk about um, what's been happening with the, the migrations to Florida and to Texas, and you take a look at, you know, I'm here in Chicago, and the, the out-migration, Florida, number one, not Indiana, not Wisconsin, not its neighboring states, Florida. It's Texas, and you're starting to see the sorting, and that can get very dangerous. I, I've said, you know, we need people here in cities. We need people to show a different perspective than what is being sold in our cities right now. Uh, we, we've got that migration problem. We've got a lot of issues um, that we're dealing with here in the city of Chicago and, and more broadly Right, New York City is dealing with it. L.A. is dealing with it, and and that's part and parcel of some of the ideas and formulas of governors. Right, you got uh, Greg Abbott in Texas, you've got Ron DeSantis in Florida and elsewhere where they've attempted this. Um, but I look at the election in 2024, and I look at states like Wisconsin, my home state, where you've got Trump probably has to win that or whomever. From the Republican side. Right now, it looks likely to be Trump. I lean more towards Ron DeSantis personally. I think that is the embodiment of Trump's ideas in action, and I think that's a good thing. Um, but you look at Wisconsin, you look at Pennsylvania, you look at Arizona, you look at all of these pieces of the puzzle to an election in 2024, and you say, look at what already happened in Maine. Look at what already happened in Colorado. I don't see a good path in 2024 for us coalescing around some principles. So my question to you is, as you've talked about the managerial class and, and a political formula that has been there for, I would argue, probably about a century, it's just on overdrive. It is pedaled to the metal right now. What's a new political formula look like in your mind? It's a good question. And again, I think it's one that has to arise organically. <laughs> the, the problem we have right now in the United States is we're not one people. We're not even close. And I don't think that there's a shared 
founding you know myth a, a shared formula a shared belief system that is going to be forged out of our current mixture I simply don't see it. We have literally one side that just wants to chop the genitals off of children. Mm-hmm. Like, I, what, how do you, well, how, how do you, you uh, yeah, exactly. What's the negotiation there? There is no negotiation. So your options are domination or separation. The left has dominated the right. That's, that's been their answer. We're going to force this on you. You will believe this. This will be the law. You will get fired if you don't do this. We will put you in jail if you protest it. That is the nation we live under. Liberty is gone. It's the, it, 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 that it's just not here anymore that's the way we live right now and there's no there's no way to reconcile this i think that just brings everybody under one system so our options i think are pretty much to separate i, I think the options are to you know m- migrate people to states that they agree with and then you know get more and more self-sufficient again i don't think the federal government is very good at its job and i don't think it's going to get any better I've got a, a, number, a couple of friends who live in South Africa and in South Africa, uh, you know, white communities are basically the devil. They're, they're cut off uh, from everything. And so they have to fend for themselves. They have to, you know, fix their own potholes. They have to run their own, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Afrikaner colleges and things if they want to be able to, to, to teach their children, those kind of things. And so they just do that on their own. And because the government is not going to do that for them. And I think that's kind of just got to be the way that conservatives understand their situation. The federal government is not going to start teaching your values. They're they're not going to start, uh, you know, building a political formula that agrees with you. And so instead, I think shoring up your region, your community, hearing about your locality, making sure you control that school board, making sure that you are taking care of those those areas. You have the sheriff elected, maybe even a governor if you're in a place like Florida or or, or Texas that is going to work with you and make sure to protect your community. And I think by strengthening the independence of states, reaching back towards that federal model, I think that it, that is our best way forward. And once we have a concentration of people who agree with each other, and we have the level of independence necessary, perhaps then a political formula arises because we have once again have a community that shares a moral vision, shares the way forward, and can build upon it. Yeah. And, and, and I've been very open about this on, on our program here. You know, my wife and I, we're looking to get out, right. We're looking to get out of here and trying to figure out, uh, going to Wisconsin, does that fit our values? Does it fit everything that we're looking for? Or maybe, uh, looking at South Carolina, Florida, whatever might, might have you. I, I think the, the biggest realization for me came on January 6th this year. And it was when the president of the United States uh, posted on X, insurrection is un-American. That is exactly the antithesis of what this country, how it was founded, what it was founded upon, what went down. it, it It is the most profoundly telling statement about where we are, I think, that I've seen in the last couple of years. If you can't understand that that is actually the fundamental foundational thing that got us where we are or this country to be separate. <laughs> if we can't agree on that, I, what do we do? Right? Yeah. Well, and this is kind of the problem, you know, conservatives, we, we've got a, we got a little bit of an identity crisis. Um, so we say, and it's correct. Of course, you're exactly right. Right. That, that, that if George Washington wasn't an insurrectionist, what was he? Right. <laughs> At the same time, we have to remember that from Shays' Rebellion to the Whiskey Rebellion to the Civil War, 
the United States has quashed many a disagreement, an attempt to secede, an attempt to change the government. And so while we like to tell ourselves that revolution is in the DNA of America, we're kind of an empire who has an identity of getting rid of an empire. And that's a that's a kind of a schizophrenic uh, background. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. That's where I was going to go with my next question was, yeah. but then we also have Shays Rebellion, the Whiskey Rebellion, the Civil War. Uh, <laughs> we could go on it. Uh, Texas is a great example of that. Yep. And, and New York attempting it, to secede at one point, right? Like people don't talk about these things, but the United States has has had a long history of telling the states, actually, no, you, you, you kind of have to do what we tell you and we're going to keep centralizing power. This is not, and to be clear, this is not a failure of the United States. I want to make that very clear to people. What we what we fail to understand is a mechanism of power. Power wants to centralize. It wants to gain control. It's not that you know, America is uniquely this thing, or it's that yep. this is always what happens. This is why, for instance, why the founding fathers warned us against having a standing army, uh, because they knew that once you have a standing army, you're always looking for a reason to use it, and that's how you get an empire. And so that that's kind of a, a classic problem. Rome had this problem. We have this problem. Mm-hmm. Th- this is just a, a truth about a, about kind of nations and and power and and the way that it works. And so yeah, yeah that that that's a real that's a real identity crisis. That yeah, there's 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 a little bit of a myth inside conservatism that we have to tackle if we want to properly understand our identities there. Exactly, and I did, I always pointed out from the perspective of we went from revolution to federalist anti federalist. <laughs> we. We literally went to how much central power versus how, how little central power in 2.2 seconds after yeah. we just threw off the 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 monarchy and, and everything else. Um, and, just 10 and years. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Within 10 years, that's where we went. So yeah. uh, it, it, there is a lot of myth-making and, and unraveling that needs to be done from the perspective of using the term liberty. I agree with you there. Uh, but real quickly, what do you have coming up um, on The Blaze and, and on your show? You also have a fantastic show on The Blaze. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, I've got uh, Jonathan Peugeot is coming on tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to be talking about the, you know, the Enlightenment uh, and possibly uh, whether it's over. Uh, he got, he got uh, some heat for pointing that out recently, so I wanted to talk to him about that. And I've also got a book coming out. It's called The Total State. Uh, I'll be going into uh, – it goes into a lot of the topics that we talked about today – uh, talk about political formulas, talking about the idea of constitutions and what they're for, how power grows, why it centralizes, and why our democracy didn't actually end up stopping the, the you know, creation of this larger central government. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the program, and we'll definitely have to have you back on for that book. I'm looking forward to reading it for sure. Thank you so much for joining us here on Critical Thinking. Thanks for having me, man. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.